0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to join me today. Folks, this is going to be worth your while. Today, I'm joined by two friends of mine, Doc Shauna Springer and Michael Sugru. Both have impressive resumes, but more important than that, they are just remarkable human beings that care about other people. Uh, Doc Springer and I first connected uh, a couple years ago After I read her book, Warrior, and I wanted to write an article for policewin.com, I reached out to her total cold contact. She didn't know me from Adam, and she said, absolutely, and our friendship has continued since then. Somewhere in that friendship, she says, you need to talk to this guy named Michael Sugru. He has a powerful story. Him and I are doing some work together, and our mission is to reduce the stigma of mental health. You know, for a long time, we've called it a post-traumatic stress disorder, as in there's something wrong with you if you're experiencing post-traumatic stress. We need to change that thinking completely. It's not a disorder. It is an injury, just like if you injure your knee, if, and you'll hear this later in the podcast, if you get all your teeth knocked out playing sports or in, I guess, in some kind of a bar fight, that's actually the analogy that we had later. You got to hear it, Uh, folks. It's, it's not a disorder. It's an injury and there's, there's a lot of highly trained psychologists and counselors out there, people who have earned the title doc that, that know how to help you. So whether you are a veteran, whether you're active duty military, if you're a first responder, you work in the medical field, if you are experiencing post-traumatic stress, there are counselors and psychologists that have a lot of tools to help you heal from that and get to a good new normal, instead of you having to suffer in silence. Folks, uh, it's, it's just an absolute treat. Uh, one of the things we highlighted during this podcast is Doc Springer and Michael just have wrapped up writing a book called Relentless Courage. It's a story, uh, it tells Michael's story. It tells Michael's story of experiencing significant loss and trauma in the job, and him being in a really, really, really dark space. And the steps that he took to eventually heal and, and the fact that now he is a, a father and a friend and just doing remarkable work, making sure that no one else is suffering in silence. So, folks, you're in for a treat. Stay tuned. But before we do that, I do want to touch on the sponsor. Uh, we, we talk about him all the time, uh, but today I feel like it's just that much uh, more important to, to highlight Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to helping our our veterans that are returning with post-traumatic stress injuries and other service-related disabilities. They're they're dedicated to helping them heal and to get to a a good new normal for them. And they do this at zero cost to the veteran. If you haven't checked them out yet, please do. ServicePeaceWarriors.org. If you want to financially support them, You can do it at no cost to you. All you got to do is Google search Amazon Smile and find out how you can link your Amazon account to Service Peace Warriors. And then when you spend money on Amazon, Amazon will kick a few pennies of every dollar you spend to Service Peace Warriors. Please check them out if you haven't done so already. Hey, folks, with that, I want to jump into this this interview with Michael and Doc Springer. Uh, Boy, you're in for a treat. I hope you enjoy Uh, Get a pen, write some notes, rewind, listen to it again, share it with your friends. People are going to benefit from Michael and Doc Springer's work. So let's jump into it and hear what they have to say. Michael and Shauna, thanks for joining me today here on the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity podcast.
1: Hey, it's good to be here, Chris.
2: It's our pleasure. Thank you.
0: Hey, I was reflecting this morning. I was sitting there having to go back. Now, how do I even know these two people? Because I just feel like I've known both of you now for so long. And, and I remembered Sean, I first connected with you. There was a, a Marine buddy of mine who knew I, knows I like to read. And so he said, hey, you, you gotta pick up Warrior. You gotta read this book. I picked it up. Uh, I totally reached out to you thinking, there's no way she's actually gonna let me write an article for Police One about her. And you responded to me, you're extremely gracious. And then shortly thereafter, you said, hey, you need to talk to this Michael guy. Uh, he has a powerful story. Uh, and and it just kind of has all gone uh, forward from there. And I've just really enjoyed uh, the work that I see both of you doing in the veteran, first responder, active-duty military arenas in promoting wellness. So thank you for what you do. It's something I'm passionate about as well.
1: Thank you. I mean, I want to acknowledge you as one of the – trusted internal readers for the next book that we worked on relentless courage winning the battle against frontline trauma you were the first person that we asked um i really liked that article in police one enjoyed the process of talking with you about what warrior was about and thought that was just beautifully written and so i thought this guy can write and i want him on my team for you know reading this next book and so it's so cool to be able to talk about our project on your podcast.
0: Yeah. Hey, speaking of relentless courage, I know that a guest I had here on the podcast here just a couple weeks ago, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, a man who really needs no introduction, uh, has has also promoted your book, Relentless Courage, saying that it's a natural success, successor to his work on combat. Uh, and for for Colonel Grossman to say something like that, that uh, that is extremely powerful. Now. I know because I have previewed the book, uh, and I agree with where where he's going there uh, with bringing this conversation of the psychological and physiological effects of violence on the human body. Uh, this book right here uh, being the bringing it full circle. So uh, t- tell me, Michael, Shauna, how did you guys connect? I don't know if I know that story. How did you guys uh, connect and, and start this conversation and eventually get to the spot of, of writing this book?
2: Uh, well, Dr. Springer actually reached out to me a couple of years ago, and we had first connected on LinkedIn, which is where I connect with a lot of people. And I saw that we were both in the same area of helping first responders, military members. And so really, it was just kind of like a meet and greet on the phone. And we were talking and she was talking about the stellate ganglion block procedure and talking about Stella and her book, Warrior. And really, I just, I just had this great feeling when I was talking to her, and knew that we were a natural connection. And after that first discussion, we kind of just left it like that for a while. And I was following Doc Springer, um, reading her articles, and seeing her updates. And I believe it was probably eight or nine months later where Doc Springer reached out to me, and we had a pivotal phone conversation. And early on, I forgot to mention this, but. When Doc Spring and I first talked, she said, Hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? And actually I said, You know what? It's funny that you asked me that because I've been asked that a few times. And um, I used to be a really, really good writer. And I said, But I'm burnt out on 20 plus years of report writing in the military and law enforcement. And so she kind of sat with that for a while when we re-engaged, and I'll let Shauna take this part over.
1: I was like, this this story, you know, it needs to be needs to be written up. And I like writing. I really enjoy it. And so we decided that we would do something really different for this one, which was really fun and challenging for me, which was to really interview Michael, not as though he were my patient, but just to really hear him as a trauma psychologist um, with that background and hear the things that maybe he wasn't even quite saying in words, but he was telling me with his presence and his heart and like all of what he was bringing to this courageous story that he was sharing of really going through deep trauma, betrayal, coming through to a time of mental health crisis where he wanted to end it all and then coming through to healing. Um, That story that he shared with me really stayed with me. And I thought, you know, Yes, I am willing to invest a year and a half of my life hearing this story and then getting into his getting into his mind and his heart in a way and writing in as though I were him. And then writing my impressions and insights as a trauma psychologist about what his story would, would what his story would help us all understand about trauma and healing. So it's Michael's story. Um, that the whole, you know, story is, is is constructed around, but with some of my professional insights as well. And it was such a, a fun process. And he was willing to say, no, you got that right. Or no, that needs to be changed or typo on page eight. And and you helped me with that stuff as well, Chris. And And so, you know, at first I was like, we have to record you and then I'm going to try and transcribe it. And, you know, there was a moment where I was like, let me just not do that. Let me just forget about the recording and just like listen to Michael and then go and write kind of from my heart and my memory of what he shared more. And then when you read that chapter, Chris, you said that was much better than the first chapters. It was like chapter three or four and we never looked back. We never went back to like recording. We just talked and then we worked on it from there.
0: Yeah, such a smoother read. It just really flowed. And I feel like the story came alive when you guys transitioned. And I love the fact that I had no clue. I had no clue your process was different, but it was so evident in in, in the way the story came alive. Hey, Michael, my listeners maybe never have heard your story. I know you talk all the time on lots of podcasts. You've had articles written, news stories done, documentaries. Uh, can, you, can you share a piece of your story so that the listeners understand a little bit about Relentless Courage.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Basically, you know, I was a captain in the Air Force. I served six and a half years active duty um, all over the world. Transitioned into civilian law enforcement, um, where I had a very good career, a bunch of different assignments, uh, field training officer. I was undercover on a state drug task force and eventually was a patrol sergeant, PIO. And right as a brand new sergeant, I was involved in a very traumatic, fatal incident, uh, where basically a man with a butcher knife was trying to kill a couple and then tried to kill myself and my partners. And unfortunately, I had to take his life to save lives. And the thing is that, you know, as law enforcement, even as military, we train for this. We talk about it. We know it's a possibility. But when something like this actually happens, it's much, much different than you could ever imagine. And the fact is that this single incident pushed me over the edge. Uh, There was years and years of cumulative trauma as a first responder. You know, we see so many horrific incidents and we're just exposed to the worst of society. And when you add that up over a career, we're talking hundreds of traumatic incidents. And in my case, I made a lot of mistakes. And the biggest one was I never talked about it and I never asked for help when I needed it most. And so my story is basically coming through the deepest, darkest of times and coming out the other side with a whole new life, a whole new outlet, a whole new appreciation of everything around me. And, and that's the power of this is to show people that, you know, I'm not unique and I'm not special. And there's so many of my brothers and sisters out there that are just suffering in silence and they need to know they're not alone and more importantly that there is help and there is hope and that's what this book is about
0: why why is there this culture that that first responders suffer in silence why don't they speak up
2: it goes back to the training you know day 1 when you go to the police academy and i equate it to like military service academies or basic training you know, you're trained to be a warrior and when you're talking about training to be a warrior you're talking about defensive tactics firearms Emergency driving, you know, you have to show strength and courage. And for whatever reason, especially within the first responder community in the military, showing emotion is considered weakness. It's not a strength. And it's actually the exact opposite of that, which is so ironic. And I get part of it because we have to be trained to go into the most dangerous situations, as you know, and bring calm and order to, to complete chaos. But the facts are that after that's all said and done, we need to acknowledge the human side, the humanity of what it is that we do and the toll that that takes. Yeah. Doc Springer, as, as a trauma
0: psychologist, what does that do to the human body when that culture thrives, the culture of stuff it down, don't talk about it, you just got to be strong? What does that do to us as human beings?
1: Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is I would make one slight tweak to something maybe Michael said with total respect that as you're trained to be a warrior, you're not trained to show courage. You're trained to show bravery. Those are not the same things. Courage means to show what is in your heart. Michael has bravery and courage. And the reason our book is called Relentless Courage is because the hardest thing Michael had to do was talk about being in the place he was in, that dark place and needing help and then healing from there. This book is about Michael's courage and also, you know, there's some bravery, but like you said, there are so many brave people and what is really needed is to have that moral courage to talk about what's real and what's true for you. Otherwise you split yourself right down the middle. So trauma can split your life into two parts. It can split your personality into two parts. It can change who you are and how you show up in your relationships People can lose their closest loved ones, their relationships with their partners or spouses, or damage their relationships with their kids because of untreated trauma. And so um it it splits your identity, you know, when you are not able to find a safe place to talk about and download all of the human impacts of what happens in this profession.
0: Wow. Hey, Michael, I know just from reading your story and from our Previous conversations, the um, the compounding effects of everything that went on in this one season for you—from uh, losing your dad to uh, being sued in federal court—without uh, going into all of it, because I want the I want the listeners to have to <laughs> to be ready to buy a relentless courage once it uh, goes on presale on Amazon. Uh, but what were some of those some of those just heavy, heavy things that you were, they just continued to stack on your shoulders more and more as in the aftermath of the shooting.
2: You know, what I noticed immediately was that I started distancing myself from loved ones, my family, my support network. And literally I I pushed my spouse away at the time and it really caused some major problems within my relationship and my marriage, which ultimately led to my divorce. And when you look at the height of all my struggles, and that's my father passing away, the lawsuit, as you mentioned, you know, multiple investigations, marriage falling apart, and then now fighting for custody of my daughter to having major health problems. And I started getting repeated uh, skin cancer diagnoses, the lawsuit, and it was literally this incident that I wanted to forget and I just wanted to go away. But literally I couldn't with this pending lawsuit, not only did I not have to forget it, but I had to remember every finite detail. I had to know exactly what happened because I was going to eventually be on the stand in federal court and have to testify to this for the fourth time. And the thing was that during all of this, there wasn't a person who I trusted enough to go to and talk to, you know, except for my father and he was dying of cancer. And so imagine that my, really my only support network that I had the person I could talk to about work-related things, who I knew he would get it, he was taken away from me in a matter of a couple of months, and it was just this perfect storm and this combination of hell that literally made me not want to be here anymore. Why I didn't care, and I started putting myself in dangerous situations, hoping I died in the line of duty.
0: Wow. Shauna, what, what impact does that have? I I know you've written about this and I've heard you speak about it before that trust factor, Mm -hmm. having at at least that one person, if not hopefully a group of people
1: that we have the
0: trust factor with.
1: Yeah. There's some interesting research that came out that I learned about from the great Charles Ducey, who's now passed away, but he was one of the Harvard professors I learned from in psychology. And I talk about this in one of the commentary sections of the book, but He said, you know, as long as a kid has one person that has their back, doesn't have to be their biological parent, it can be a coach, it can be a teacher, that one person that believes you and has your back, they usually turn out all right. And I think the same thing is true for trauma. Um, What, you know, warriors and first responders do by default is they suffer in silence And so Michael, you know, being in solitary confinement in terms of his trauma, he was there with loved ones around him, but really in solitary confinement in his mind comes from that protective instinct of I don't want you to be contaminated by this trauma and this suffering. And they pay the price for it um, because he didn't have that single one person. Would have been his dad, Mike Gormley, legendary Richmond PD leader cared about his people, you know, raised Mike to be who he is, would have been his dad and he lost his dad to a horrible brutal cancer um right as his life was unraveling and he was sitting in this courtroom being unzipped which is like the the worst kind of disclosure there's Therapeutic disclosure, you know, when you talk to somebody, you control your narrative and you tell your story, to somebody who's trustworthy. And then there's being in a deposition with a video in your face and the the father of the man you had to shoot and kill sitting right across from you or sitting in a courtroom with the man's identical twin brother saying murderer behind you for years in a courtroom. I mean, it was trauma upon trauma upon trauma. Um, and so we write about that and we, we you know, talk about how that breaks anyone down in that situation and how you can heal from it because it's not over just because these things happen to us. Once we find those trusted people and we have therapeutic sharing, we can heal.
2: Well,
0: Michael, here in a sec, I want to get to the process of writing the book a little bit more, but, but I want to hear the piece that, that Doc Springer just left off on there. Where was the turning point for you? Where was the point where healing began?
2: You know, unfortunately, it took a very tragic incident, which was literally my wake up call and which got me the the strength and courage to ask for help. And it was uh, my federal trial ended September 2016. And that same year, a week after Thanksgiving, my best friend, his name is John Davison. He was a Vietnam veteran, military police And he also served 35 years as reserve officer with my police department. And he was my best friend. I mean, he had retired a couple of years earlier and I saw him every week for lunch. I mean, we talk multiple times a week and while I was on duty, he actually tried to take his own life and thank God he survived this incident. And I go into this incident in great detail in our book, but this incident had a profound effect on me and I started feeling extremely guilty and wondering what is it that I could have done differently? you know, Why didn't I see these signs? Why did I do what we all do, which is where we ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine, or I'm okay. And we just accept that. We don't press past that. We don't really dig deep to find out that real answer and say, no, really, how are you doing today? And so I took his answer at surface value and I didn't dig deep as I should have. And so this guilt that I started to feel And at the same time, I was putting myself in life-threatening situations, hoping I died in line of duty. All I could think about was my daughter at the time. And how is this going to affect her? Is she going to have these same feelings of guilt that I'm having for my best friend, John, and wondering what could have she done differently and start blaming herself? And there was no way in hell I was going to let that happen. And so on the anniversary of my shooting... About a month after my friend John tried to take his own life is when finally I got the courage to ask for help. And literally after crying and breaking down in my car for two hours, I pulled out my cell phone and called the on-duty watch commander and just said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. Wow. Well, and
0: so that was the first step is is making that call and, and was there... How did you know where to go to get help though? You know what I'm saying? Because I know that there's a lot of first responders that if they haven't already asked that question of, if, hey, if I'm not okay, this is my trusted person that I'm going to go to.
2: Did you already have that or did you have someone point you in the right direction? How'd that work out? So we had a department contracted therapist who I met with right away and I liked her. Um, I didn't really speak to her that much or have really that trust level at this point. Um, But because I decided to make this a work comp case, I wasn't even allowed to see her. So I had to transition into a uh, non-department contracted therapist. And so I actually reached out to somebody else that had been involved in my shooting, who it turns out years earlier had seen this therapist. And so because of that, I had that initial trust to go see her. And I knew she was culturally competent, which is key. I knew that she only worked with first responders and she had for many, many years. And so I remember my first meeting with her. I was very nervous. I wasn't sure if I could really talk to her or open up. I mean, literally, you know, I'd heard about her, but I didn't know who this woman was. And there was something that happened during our first meeting, which literally broke down those walls and built immediate trust. And that's what made all the difference because when that happened, I knew that I could trust her with my life. I knew that. I could talk to her and that she would have my back to the fullest and that's critical to this whole thing is that you know you have to have the trust to know the person is going to really listen understand and have your back but you also need to have that confidentiality and the trust in the process to know that this information isn't going to go anywhere that it's not going to be used against you by your department or by workers comp insurance that this is all about a trusting relationship to get better and to get healthy and get back to life. And so I was truly blessed to have the therapist that I did. Hey, Doc,
0: I know this is an area, especially with you being a psychologist, uh, that you learned through your work about this trust factor. I know you're right about it in your previous work. Uh, Can you speak a little bit on that as well?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, the safety of that relationship, and like Michael said, the ability to go and not worry that you're going to be pushed out of the tribe because you have asked for help is critical. And so one of the things that we have done as part of this book is to really pull together a resource section in the back of the book with some trusted resources. Um, because that is the question, Chris, that people have is okay, what if I'm willing, but I just don't want to risk losing everything. My place in the tribe, my identity as a first responder, Um, if I go forward with this and ask for help. So we've got, you know, everything from 911 at ease international, they have, you know, free therapists that are culturally competent to West coast post-trauma retreat, uh, which Michael really found extremely helpful to so the first responder support network, a very confidential peer support base. So we talked about in the chapter on healing, some of those, resources, programs, and treatments like stellate Ganglion Block, we talked about Mission 22's Recovery and Resiliency Program and, and other programs to really spotlight, look, here are some resources that are trusted resources that Michael has found helpful or that are resources that are organized by and run by people that I know and trust um, and there's an exhaustive resource list in the back of the book to hopefully help move people forward just a little bit in terms of um, getting that support.
0: Both of you have now said uh, culturally competent. Can one can or both of you just talk on the significance of that? Aren't all counselors counselors?
2: I think we should probably both speak to this um, just to show our different views on this. But for me personally, what it means is it's pretty simple. And that is a therapist or clinician who gets us, who understands us, who understands the unique aspects of our profession, who understands that, you know, unlike the normal person who may be exposed to one or two traumatic incidents in a lifetime, we're exposed to, I mean, literally upwards of 300, sometimes over 500 critical traumatic incidents in a career. And so we are very unique. I mean, we're similar to military and combat veterans, but we're also unique in that we have some differences in that. And as a first responder, especially as law enforcement, we're literally in combat every single day for potentially up to 30 years. And even within first responders, you know, there's differences between paramedics, dispatchers, firefighters, police officers. And so these therapists, not only do they need to understand each type of first responder, they need to know the differences. They need to know the job. Um, It needs to be part of their culture, not something they just read about or went to school on, but they've actually lived it. And and that's actually key to this is just knowing that when you go in there, you're not going to traumatize your therapist and walk out of there worse than you were before you walked in. And and that's what you need. So you need someone who gets it and understands this.
1: Yeah, and I would add that you know I am not of the school of thought that you have to have served in the military or in a first responder profession to be someone who gets it, um, because just the the experience I've had, not having been a first responder in the traditional sense or um, being in the military or being deployed to a combat zone, however, you have to be willing to do the work. To stretch yourself and think about what experiences have I had that can help me really get it and understand this. And in my experience, um, there's a huge difference between a doctor and a doc. And it's really about having a calling to serve. Um, It's not a job, it's a calling. And the people for whom it's a calling are willing to put themselves in uncomfortable situations and put in the time and effort to make sure that they get it and that they continue to learn and grow, Um, just serving isn't enough to make somebody culturally competent. I also don't believe that. I think a counselor who thinks, I'm a counselor, I went to school for a long time, therefore I can get it, is a dangerous person potentially. And I also think somebody who says, well, I served or I'm a first responder and now I've got my counseling certification, so I'm culturally competent is a dangerous person potentially. There is this other dimension of this work being a calling as a healer, the same way that first responder or warrior lives are callings in their own way. Um, So that's my perspective on it. You need to find somebody like that and some of the resources that we offer um, will help people get a uh, connection to a doc.
0: Yeah, and I I firmly believe people need to find uh, a doc before the event ever happens.
1: Yeah, I, I don't
0: wait until I have cavities yes. to find a dentist. I get my check my teeth checked twice a year, right? And, and and just routine maintenance. I don't wait until I have some major medical issue to find a primary care physician. I have one that I go to annually, and we test my blood and we make sure that everything's looking decent, right? I I have a counselor. I've had counselors previously that are culturally competent and, and job competent. And, and I currently have one and, and I'm great right now. Right. I wasn't before. Uh, but, but that's one of the things that, that I think both in the military and the first responder communities, this is a new thought that you need to, Hey, just go to a counselor from time to time. It's good. It's a, a checkup. Maybe you go once, maybe you go six or seven times, and then maybe you don't have to go anymore for another year. Uh, so- I don't
2: know. <laughs>
1: I love that analogy, Chris. But I, I want to forget. I, I don't want to forget it. I want to take it further. Actually, please. So it's, it's not just like, okay, I have some cavities, so now I'm going to find a dentist. It's like people who just got in the bloodiest bar brawl ever, and their teeth are missing, and they're bleeding out of their mouths, and like, there's like several teeth that like need root canals that never got addressed, and then they they're trying to find like a competent dentist. Like, don't do it from that kind of frame of mind like you've got to have your car mechanic your dentist your your pit crew you know fleshed out before you run into some kind of a crisis Um, because you're not going to be by definition in like the best mind state to really be evaluative about is this a doctor or a doc you want to develop that relationship it's your investment up front to have that trusted relationship so that when stuff goes down not if but when you will have that person that can respond, who knows you, that you can go in with that, that comfort. So it, it's like people go in with much worse than cavities <laughs> um, when they come to like mental health counselors and they're in full-blown crisis. I love that analogy.
2: Well, but I like you take it to another level. Michael, go I, ahead. Agree, I agree with that too, because I mean, you both hit it on the head, but I truly believe had I practiced that, And had that kind of trusting relationship in the beginning, because I've been involved in several traumatic incidents, but you know, they weren't major, major incidents, at least in my mind at that point. But if I had been regularly talking to somebody, I think when this big incident happened, I wouldn't have gotten to the point I got to, which was where it was almost too late, where my jar was too full and it was overflowing. And so I think that if we're proactive about this and we make it normal, we make it part of the culture. We make it part of our, like you said, our our health checkups, whether it's biannually or annually. I think that people are going to get through an entire 20, 30-year career and be healthy, be mentally healthy, be physically healthy, and be able to enjoy that retirement on the other side. And I didn't do that. And and why? Well, it's because of the culture. And so, you know, Chris, to your point, and Shauna, we need to change that culture and let's embrace this. Let's, let's make it normal. But You know, the key is too, let's build those trusting relationships before that big, big major incident, like where Doc Springer's talking about where the teeth are falling out and you're in this, you know, bar brawl. It might be too late at that point. So let's build those relationships early on. And here's the difference.
1: If you are in that bar brawl and you're trying to figure out a good dentist, finding a good dentist and discerning who's a good dentist and who is not becomes another backbreaking stressor for you, which is totally different than oh my gosh, I'm in a bar brawl, my teeth are falling out, but I've got my trusted dentist. That's a totally different emotional experience to say, I'm going to like call him and through the blood and the you know broken teeth say, I need you now. And I'm going to go and he's going to take care of me or she's going to take care of me. Totally different emotional experience than, oh, now I've got to figure out who can I trust with my teeth, my mouth, my health, my future. That's a just a different thing
2: yeah
0: i like this uh and i use that analogy a lot so i like you take you just took it to another level because <laughs> you're absolutely right but maybe <laughs> remember, you
1: remember know, the disgusting things are more memorable sometimes so
0: well and it's realistic because when i went and yeah. sat on the counselor's couch that first time bawling my eyes out because of yeah. what i was experiencing it wasn't like a cavity it was like i just gotten in a bar fight and the teeth yeah. were were falling out of my face and and thankfully, I was fortunate that even though I hadn't started the professional relationship, I knew her, and I knew she was she specialized in first responders, and so it really made a huge difference. Hey, what was this process like for you, Michael? Sometimes sharing your story, especially when it is in the in in the uh, in the boundaries of safety, it can be very therapeutic. But sometimes it also can really stir up. Those experiences. Uh, what was it like for you in the process of you and Doc talking through the chapters, and 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 then you reviewing them? Was it good, bad? Was it
2: in the middle? I don't know. All of the above. So, um, you know, basically, it's funny that you asked that because I've had people comment like, "Wow, this must have been so healing to to write this book and be involved in this process." And to be honest with you, the level that Doc Spring and I went was was so deep and so intimate and. It's burying my soul for a year and a half and and really reliving it all again in finite detail and not just a shooting, not just one traumatic incident. But literally in this book, we go all the way back to my childhood and we, we progress through the current day. And there's so much, so many things where, you know, we forget about things, we pack them away. And so in this process, It was literally like every week, two hours long, Doc Springer and I would be on a Zoom call because COVID was happening. We couldn't even meet in person. I mean, we'll get to it, but it took us much longer to actually meet in person. And um, so, you know, literally for two hours a week or more sometimes, just literally burying my soul. And, you know, Doc is asking all the right questions because she's trying to pull these things out of me and get this detail. And so. It was very, very draining. And when I say that we both poured our heart and soul into this life-saving project, I mean that to the core. I mean, absolutely. And you know, the healing part for me is gonna come when the book is finally out there in a few weeks and people are reading it. And when I'm actually holding it in my hand and people are reaching out and talking about the impact and how this helped them, that's the healing part for me is knowing that my story, which is not unique, it's not special, is going to resonate not just with veterans and first responders, but loved ones, family members, um, even just people on the street. You know, this, this book is so much bigger than my story. And it's really to show the human side behind the badge, to show the toll of this job on our protectors. And so, you know, kudos to Doc Springer because I had other people reach out to me before and talk about doing a book, and it it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. And with Doc, I knew it was right. I knew it was right every single day because when we were done, she would check in and she would ask me, you know, how are you doing? And she would make it clear that she was always available. And so, you know, this started as a professional relationship and it turned into a friendship for life. And when I talk about that trust, you know, I trust Doc Springer with my life. I mean, that's a fact. And we now have a friendship and a bond that will never be broken and and for that I'm truly grateful. Yeah.
1: Well, Go ahead, Doc. yeah. <laughs> sort of speechless there, Michael. But mm-hmm. the book is relentless courage because of Michael's courage for that year and a half. Like I as an empathic person and a friend of his felt a fraction of what he must have felt to go back to all of that trauma in the detail that needed to happen to really write this from like the depths of that dark space that he found himself in. And even though it was a fraction of what he experienced, stepping into his heart and his skin to like write as though I were him, I would like hit these walls of anger sometimes. I mean, cause I had to like, I had to review everything too. I didn't live this. So it wasn't my trauma, but, you know, I had to look at the police photographs of the the, the dead body of, you know, the person that, whose life he had to take and review all of the depositions and find out all of the like ways that he was betrayed and abandoned by people who should have had his back. And I was writing this up and I would like hit this wall of anger and like, say, like I just got to just, you know, take a slower take a slower approach on this chapter. And he was always take the time you need, take the time you need. There was never pressure from Michael. Not one time was he coming at this from a, you know, why aren't you writing this faster? I was like, you know, I just, I care more about getting this right than about getting it out. Um, And so we gave ourselves that time and space and we both needed that time and space. And I needed grace when stuff came up and you know other things in my life. And couldn't give it the attention that I wanted to give it because I, I didn't want to do it half, halfway. I wanted to really write what was in his heart. Um, Yeah, it was just really a different kind of project than I've ever done. And uh, was it was incredible. And I can't wait to see it come out.
2: You know, and I do or, want to mention that too, that, you know, we didn't have a set deadline for this. And, and like Doc Springer said, it was a matter of when it's right, it's right. And when it's ready, it's ready. And so that's why I loved about this whole process is that it is ready and it is absolutely right. And we know it's right. And it's it's the time for it to be out there. And so I'm just grateful that to have this process and to have this friendship. And, and it's nothing like this, I don't think has ever been done before. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think this book is groundbreaking. It's very unique um, and it's gonna save lives. And that's what it's all about is saving lives.
0: I don't think it's just going to, and, and you touched on this, Michael, I don't think it's just going to impact first responders and military. I, I think this is going Im, to impact, if you look at what America's, what the world has, has had happen over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of people that have experienced loss and trauma. One of our universal experiences as human beings, and I mean, you you, you hit the nail on the head, military first responders experience it at hundreds of times more than the general population, but still the general population experiences trauma. And I think your process, the pr- process of, of what happened to you, of of how you responded to it, and then eventually the healing process, I think can deeply impact anyone's life. I think it can impact the person that's working at a grocery store, the person working at a, at a tax company, work, working at a bank, school teachers. Uh, if you've experienced loss and trauma in life, uh, the only thing that's different is for you, Michael, it was within the parameters of, of law enforcement, right? But then also life, also life, losing your your, your father, uh, going through a divorce, right? I mean, all of those are stressors that I think people are really going to connect with and and potentially recognize that they haven't dealt with it yet. They haven't dealt with it yet. And I'm hoping that relentless courage will, will move people to start dealing with it. I, I see you write a lot. Smash the stigma. I see you on on LinkedIn, on social media, smash the stigma. And I really see this this work as smashing the stigma, not just for law enforcement officers and and, and military minded folks, but I think it's going to do it for the general population as well.
2: I, I couldn't agree more. And I also think, though, in given today's climate and current times, I think it's also going to improve the relationship, the divisive relationship between law enforcement and the general public. And we need to do, when I say we, I mean we as first responders need to do a better job on educating the public on what it is that we see, on what it is that we do, and the toll that it takes. The public needs to see our human side. They really do. They don't need to see just the superhero in the uniform who is stoic and shows no expression, no emotion. They need to realize that we are, in many cases, just like them. We have families and loved ones just like them. And like you just said, we deal with all these other personal things on top of the work-related trauma. And so I truly think, yes, this book is going to help everyone. If people just take the time to pick it up and start reading, they're not going to be able to put it down.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely a page turner. I agree. Hey, are you guys thinking about doing an audio uh, option? I know that there's some folks that that don't like to read. I love reading, but but for those that don't,
1: yeah, I think we should. You know, I, I did that for Warrior with uh, Major Scott Husing and uh, Eddie Wright, and that was really helpful for a lot of people. A lot of people don't have time or bandwidth to read a book, but they will take in a audio book. And so, the one thing I learned from that is. It has to be in our own voices. Something this personal, like it has to be Michael and me reading this book. He reads his parts, I read my part, um, and I think there's going to be, you know, a unique, a unique value in people hearing it in our own voices. So we haven't started to look at that process yet. Um, I know that I want creative control on that, so that nobody can say, "Oh, we're going to hire this." Person from Hollywood who's like a professional voiceover actor to play you like that isn't going to work. Um, I might not be you know smooth and perfect, but like the authenticity of Michael's voice and my voice on this is what's going to matter. So we will look into that, but hopefully in the meantime, people will listen to your podcast and um, about the book and, and read the book and you know read it a little bit at a time.
0: And it's a fast read. It really is. The way you guys break down the chapters between it being in Michael's voice and then in your voice, Doc, it uh, it's an extremely fast read and uh, totally worth picking up. Hey, do you guys have an idea of when it is going to go for pre-sale?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if we'll get to do pre-sale um, because Amazon doesn't really allow for a lot of predictability around that. It's probably going to be more like a thunderclap. And, um, you know, it'll be like, okay, everybody, like, it's going to be posted in the next couple of days. Okay, it's posted, please go and buy a copy today. Um, Help us launch this, you know, this effort. So probably like the first couple weeks of April, I'm hoping. um, We're still waiting on one endorsement from somebody who's really important to me. Um, But we have Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's beautiful forward. Um, where he says he says that it is one of the most important books of our time and that Michael and I were brought together to team up on this effort for a time like this. Uh, I really appreciate what you said, Michael, about how hopefully this will mend the divide between those who serve in the law enforcement professions and the people they serve. Because to me, we're doing the same things to them, our law enforcement officers, as we did to our Vietnam veterans and really creating them to be this like other than human outgroup and that's got to end you know by humanizing our law enforcement officers and giving this like courage and context like showing what is in michael's heart and how affected he was by all of the traumas i think we're going to start a different conversation that's my hope so um probably yeah, early april
0: i like it how do we do a better job of that michael how And and this is the the, the reason I'm asking the question is I like to focus on what I have control over. I can't control all of society. I can control me, right? I I, I can have an enormous impact on me, my mindset, my actions. Uh, So how can we do a better job of telling our story? Because again, I think you're right. The community doesn't know unless they have that close family member or friend who's a first responder. So how do we do a better job of telling our story?
2: I think we simply need to be more transparent and open. Um, you know, as whether it's as an agency or as a person, um, you know, we have social media these days, and if you look on social media, usually it's one of two things. It's usually like, "Hey, this person's been arrested uh, for this crime," or "We recovered this stolen property," or "Here's a cop at a lemonade stand." You know, it's it's kind of like either hardcore crime or it's like fluff pieces. And, you know, I know with people's attention spans, they're pretty short, but we never talk about, you know, these big traumatic incidents. And I know we can't go into details on names and things like that for privacy reasons, but we can talk about in a general sense, like, hey, you know, our community suffered a, a great tragedy yesterday. Here's kind of a brief synopsis of what happened. You know, our, our department is is reeling right now. We're trying to deal with this tragedy, but just acknowledging that this is normal. I mean, this stuff, the way it affects us is normal. And we make it as being not normal to talk about it and to not address it. And so it comes down to showing that human side. And so we have the social media, we could have more citizens academies, more training opportunities, more speaking engagements, you know, whether it's like having people like Doc Springer and I talking to people out in the community, not just law enforcement agencies, but to Uh, you know, civilian groups or community leaders or, you know, at churches, things like this. I mean, there's lots of different avenues and opportunities. And we talk about this in more detail in the book, but it's really simply being more open and transparent and, and just showing the human side. And it honestly starts with leadership. If you have somebody at the top, whether that's a chief who embraces this and supports this, and we actually have a chief who read our manuscript and gave us a very strong endorsement, and he's one of those chiefs who I've met, and he lives it, he preaches it, and it filters down to his officers, and so they live it, and they preach it and it really comes down to solid leadership who believes in it and lives it wow
0: yeah what do you, you what are your thoughts on that Shona <sighs>
1: Yeah. I mean, all, all of it. Yes. Like I want to be part of helping mend that divide and helping as somebody who is in two tribes, I will be very transparent with the fact that two years ago, my understanding of first responders was largely based on the subset of first responders. And there were significantly a number of them because a lot of warriors go into first responder professions, but the subset of my clients and patients and friends that had been warriors and then became first responders. And the people who were called to first responder work because maybe their father or their mother was in that world. um, This was a a tribe that I, I have gotten to know in the past year and a half, two years, and really been impacted by the understanding that the level of trauma faced by first responders And the sacrifice they make, having this divided world, living in a totally separate world. And, um, you know, in the foreword, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman talks about how just as in war, more people survive now because of body armor and advanced technology. They're getting injuries, but they're surviving. So they're living with these catastrophic injuries, but they're still with us. A kind of similar thing is happening on the streets where like the amount of violence that's being done is not captured by our statistics because people are surviving it because of medical innovations. But the trauma that comes with that is not getting addressed. And there's this divide between those that serve and protect and those who are protected that just don't understand each other's worlds. And I feel like I got that education through Michael's courage and the courage of John Davison, and the other people that we talked to, we talked to several people in law enforcement who contributed to this book, yourself included, Chris, and just people talking and sharing helped me understand things that I want all of my other tribe to understand, all those civilians who appreciate that people protect and defend us on some level, but don't really understand the sacrifices they make to do that.
0: Wow. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Hey, if people are, are hearing this, uh, they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to continue to follow your both your work?
2: Uh, for me personally, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on there every single day. i um, on Facebook and Instagram. I have a couple pages, Sergeant Michael, Seguru, and then First Responders First. Um, I'll be posting constant updates on all of those sites. And when we have a definitive release date, for our book. I'll post it on there as well. Um, I know Doc Springer has her own site that we're also going to have a lot of information on. I'll let her talk about that one.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I realize it's you know important and yet I drag my feet every time I think about going on there and posting. I'm going to try and do more of that just to support the book because I believe in it so much and try and show up a little bit more on LinkedIn than I would naturally want to. Um, but my website, Doc Shauna Springer, D O C S H A U N A Springer.com, um, with the book release, I'm going to be creating a page for the book. And on that page will be some really cool photos of Michael from various phases of his career as a Phoenix Raven in the Air Force. Um, and then, you know, when he was undercover looking like kind of a crack dealer um, it's all in the story, but we'll be posting the photos that people can check out. Um, and as well, you know, if people want to hire us to do speaking engagements and trainings, um, then my website will be a place you can reach out. Or if you want to hire Michael, reach out through his probably LinkedIn, I would think, or, or really any way you can get to him, but docshonaspringer.com and probably LinkedIn are my two best places. And then I'm limping along with an Instagram, you know, Following of, I don't know, 100 people or something, um, which says more about my my social media reluctance than anything. But um,
2: yeah. I like it. Well, the
0: audience, whether you're consuming this on YouTube or a podcast platform, look down in the description. All those links will be down there. Super easy to get to. You really got to check out what Doc Springer and Michael are doing uh, in changing this conversation and canceling or smashing the stigma. Thank you both for joining me today. appreciate your work more than that though i appreciate the friendship that i've that i've started with both of you uh
1: thank you thank you chris likewise
0: thank you wow ladies and gentlemen every time i get a connect with michael and dog springer it's special it is absolutely special hearing the way that they are supporting other folks and then also just hearing these stories of courage and healing and triumph Uh, I I like these stories because it gives me the courage to to wake up every day and to give uh, all of my roles, all of the things that I do in this life, from being a husband, being a father, uh, being a police officer, all these things that I'm committed to doing, I wanna be better at it because of hearing stories like Michael's. Uh, Folks, we wanna hear from you. We wanna get better at doing this podcast and we need to hear from you though if jamie and i are going to do that so there's a few different ways you can do this if you're consuming this on apple on spotify on facebook you can rate and review us if you will give us a five star rating that will increase our viewability on those podcast platforms if we're not earning five stars we don't want them they're your stars folks you only give five when they actually are, are are well earned so if we're not earning it let us know what we can do to make this better if you haven't done so yet uh, follow this on whatever platform you're consuming it, whether it be on YouTube, uh, on one of the social media platforms. Hit that follow button so that you get the alerts when we have new podcasts coming out. Uh, leave a comment. Uh, shoot me an email at gravityct.com and let us know how we're doing. Maybe give us different Marriage Monday topics for Jamie and me to tackle or you can let us know of future guests. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Uh, let's go out and take care of each other. Uh, and take care of ourselves love you guys take care and god bless